Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and my business partner, the good Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Of? Of, originally, uh, Ayrshire, and currently, Virginia. Oh, I was just waiting on the Ayrshire Johnstons. Oh, of the Ayrshire Johnstons. Were there many Johnstons growing up in Ayrshire? Yes. Yep, lots and lots and lots and lots. Are you related to them all? Yep. It's a stronghold for the Johnstons. Oh, is it? Yep. Oh, that's a, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yep. Okay. Yep, the Johnstons go back seven centuries in Ayrshire. Wow. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yep, stronghold. Is that what Outlander is based on? Oof. I only know that that's based on mommy porn. <laughs> that's all I know. I've never seen an episode. Yeah. Yeah, here it's a very sexy show. Very sexy show, from what I hear. <laughs> a friend told me. Yeah, I think the same rings true for uh, Hatton Gardens, for, for We Hattons. All right. In, in Here in England, which oh. we happen to be in England. We are. We are surrounded by yeah. it right now. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah, a little I, trapped, I, to be honest. I don't have a bit of English in me, uh, but my stepfather is you English. want some? You're Scotsman. What I'm just saying we can organize it. Yeah. <laughs> We're heading into central London later. Before you go on about the hands. Okay. I stopped caring. Um, <laughs> we have uh-huh. 1989 Lefroy in our glasses. Glasses? This morning. Uh-huh. Is that what the, is that what we call them? You know, when you're a diamond member of Hilton, as you are, Joshua Hatton, mm. of the Hatton Gardens, mm. they clearly put fine whiskey glasses in your hotel room. They certainly don't leave you to drink really expensive whiskey from a coffee mug. Definitely not. So we are definitely not drinking 89 Lefroy out of coffee mugs right now. No, no, definitely not 1989 Lefroy, exclusive for the Swedish market. Gifted to Gifted us to by us. Jess, our beloved Jess, and mm-hmm. our beloved Sweet Scott. Mm-hmm. And they sent us on our way from Glasgow yesterday with some very tasty little samples in our bags. Yeah. And so we had the Spring Bank 89 last evening. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Yep. Took a wee splash of water. Worked out quite pleasantly. Needed it, but once it had it, oof. And then this morning, here we are with this Lefroy 89, and it is delicious. Big, pronounced monkey nuts. Mm-hmm. You and Sweet Scott were suggesting a bit of a floral aspect to it. He was using the term FWP. Which we have referenced once or twice on this podcast. However, I think there's a big difference between a floral, lavender-like note and what FWP is and can be. So I can definitely see why he suggested that. And it's definitely got the hints of it. But it's more specifically this just beautiful spring lavender. Mm. No. Mm. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so, so with that said, today is the mailbag episode. It is. Welcome to our third mailbag episode. Oh, this mailbag, not ball bag. Someone's been in Glasgow for a few days. <laughs> and Our third annual ball bag episode. <laughs> and this time we received more questions than we ever had for this ever, episode. Ever, the, yeah. the response was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The support was fantastic. Yeah. And I want to start with a question that came in from a dear friend of ours. 
with whom uh, we enjoy terrific dealings at the Glen Murray Distillery. Mm -hmm. And he has himself been interviewed for this podcast. Yes. And Mr. Ian Allen very simply asks, who would win a fight between Josh and Jason? Quickly answering or suggesting whiskey with an E? That surprised me. That was very surprising. We'll pivot back to that in just a second. He says, hope you guys are doing well. Just listen to the podcast while doing my ironing. Great work as ever. Thanks, Ian. I love, love, love. He's always such a well-dressed young man. Yes. And to think of him standing over an ironing board, mm -hmm. making his clothes look handsome mm. while having us rambling away mm -hmm. in his ears... Mm -hmm. That's magnificent. That's a wonderful, wonderful image. Would you suggest that he's handsome only because he listens to us while whilst ironing his clothes? No, I would go so far as to say he would be handsomely turned out if we had never darkened his door. It's very true. He's always dapper. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's a good lad, and we got to have a nice wee drinky-poo with him in mm -hmm. Glasgow over the weekend as well. So. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, who would win a fight between Josh and Jason? Whiskey with an E question mark? Do you th do you think he's referencing a physical fight? <laughs> like if we, Jason, if you and I, and so he wrote Josh. I assume he meant Joshua. Um, here, you know, I'll just I'm going to give the good Ian uh, the benefit of the doubt. But do you think he means if it came to fisticuffs, who would win? Who would win? Well, he he says whiskey. Whiskey would win. Whiskey with an E would win. You and I can, cannot defeat whiskey with an E. That's maybe why hmm. all of our URLs mm. and all of our titles uh, are without. I think he might be suggesting that whiskey with an E is our nemesis. That rings, yeah, that, that rings true. Uh, definitely. Our arch enemy is, is whiskey, whiskey with, with an E. e. Yeah, if you want to, if if I want to defeat you, if you want to defeat me, if anyone wants to defeat us, then just use whiskey with an E. Just put an E in the word whiskey, and we've been first provoked. <laughs> <laughs> then in um, uh, an altercation of sorts, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but ultimately defeated. Yeah, uh, very much so. I think uh, and. For me, the E mm. is almost our kryptonite. And just like the great Superman did, uh -huh. we avoid the E as much as we possibly can. Yes. But when it comes into our lives, yeah. weakens us. It drops us to our knees. Yeah. We lose the whiskey strength that we otherwise have. It's it's like Samson getting his hair cut. Exactly. Good to tell you, when you can pivot... From superhero references to biblical references, you absolutely must. Wasn't uh, Samson just the Bible superhero? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel as if Jonah in the whale is some sort of origin story. <laughs> Thanks to Ian for his question. I think it's kicked us off beautifully in this episode. <laughs> I'll tell you, let me, let me say this before you go on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Getting a question from someone who's been in the industry for as long as Ian has 
right? He's 15 years with Glenn Murray now. Yep. Four years with McAllen prior to that. You know, this is someone who lives and breathes whiskey and who gives tours nonstop, who knows his distillery inside out, left, right, up, oh, down. Without any shove it out. And yes, that's a nonsensical question, but the fact that he asked us the question. Nonsensical? How dare you? <laughs> He's just run his iron right off his ironing board now with that comment. <laughs> Jesus Gosh, he's now just burnt his carpet. He's so shocked right now. God, what a terrible, terrible person. Um, All right. Okay, do you have something for us? I do. I, I want to go to the good uh, Tim Gullick's rod. Okay. Right. Who has written in before. One of your favorite people for his very kind comment about something that I just don't recall. Yeah. As 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 regular listeners might recall, if 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 you are called a Tim or a Timothy, that's shorthand for being a good guy. Yes, yeah, we right? have established that yeah. on our podcast language. Mm. Timothy asks J J and J. Mm-hmm. Right, he's including Jess, which which I, think I is will. Fantastic. I will pivot pivot to this next. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm wondering about tasting notes. Joshua always seems to mention pickled walnuts. Having never had pickled walnuts, I consulted Amazon and, <laughs> and had some promptly delivered. Jason mentions things like parma violets and pear drops. Again, Amazon delivered them to my door, and my palate has expanded. My question is this. Can you suggest a list of items, edible or otherwise, that would be helpful as tasting, nosing references to those of us with American palates. Thanks. Tim Gullick's Red. So is is he asking for things to taste that align with American whiskey tasting notes? Or is he asking for a continuation of what he's been doing, which is taking our scotch notes and exploring the the candies the reference points that we make about them well i think the notes be they by nosing or tasting you could potentially find some of these notes that we sometimes attribute to scotch whiskey in other whiskies so i think what he's more looking for is there a list of things he should be paying attention to that isn't normally available to Americans that we sometimes use in our tasting notes. You can get pickled walnuts at a good supermarket, but most Americans don't know that. It tends to go into the into the British section mm-hmm. of the supermarket. So what what are some of the more esoteric things we've used? Well, there's one that you and I talk about all the time in our own tasting notes, which is licorice all sorts. Yes. Licorice All Sorts is a packaged candy mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom that I certainly don't see in the United States, but it's got such clear notes to mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. that we'll even talk about brown licorice all sorts. Yes. And it just makes it's such wonderful shorthand. So that that would be a clear one. Get a pack of licorice all sorts and start exploring them and you'll yeah. start to note some crossovers. The one that we had earlier in this podcast, for me, Lefroig has always had a monkey nut component to it. Mm-hmm. And but those mon- are just peanuts. Unshelled peanuts. Yeah. But but for their for that one there's a translation issue. 
right? Yes. Is no one in America is talking about monkey nuts Mm. when Mm -hmm. they mean unshelled peanuts. Yeah. So that's a clear one. And then uh, one more I would offer up before throwing the floor back to you is the baking spice cabinet or just the spice cabinet writ large. Mm. And I know that that's something people already have in their homes, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's something they see as a resource. Yeah. So many times when we're talking about cask influence, we'll talk about fresh ginger, crystallized ginger, ginger powder, Mm. right? There's three distinct elements to that. 100%, yeah. We'll talk about turmeric, whether it be fresh turmeric root or ground turmeric, mm-hmm. and knowing that turmeric note on two different levels yeah. makes a difference to how you interpret the wood component of a whiskey. Mm. And and then you know some of the you know, as I mentioned the, the baking spices right the nutmegs the allspice uh, those the cinnamon mm-hmm. those really come in when when we're nosing we're communicating what a whiskey's got, what a whiskey's doing, what we're picking up from it, or even what might be lacking, yeah. right? Oh, it's a very muted cinnamon on the nose. Or a different whiskey might have very pronounced cinnamon right down the middle of the palate. Mm. So I think the, the cabinet is a is an overlooked resource. Interesting. Uh, okay. And especially, as they always say, if you've had your spices for six months or more, go through them. Use them up very quickly in cakes and just get them used and over with. I don't want to say throw them out because that's wasteful. Uh, and I'm Scottish and there shouldn't be a waste here. Yeah. But definitely fresh. Yeah. Fresh spices yeah. are going to make a big difference for oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for my part, I've mentioned many times in the past, pickle walnuts. I've said parma violet. I've said uh, cola cubes. Mm, yeah, cola and, cubes is right? another good, good candy one, yep. And things like that. But I did that because I was on the same journey that Tim was on, mm-hmm. right? I read your tasting notes. I didn't know what a Parma Violet was until I read you, right? And so I did the same thing. I go to a <laughs> British shop or I go to Amazon and I find the things and then my palate is expanded. What I would suggest rather than that, instead of putting yourself into a small box of looking at tasting notes and then finding those items, which I, I think that's actually, it's it's a, what you're doing, Tim, is a really good way to I do thought, it. So I didn't know where you were trying to take this point. But what I often suggest to people is, sometimes it's good to figure out your own tasting notes. And what I mean by that is, go to your grocery store, go to the produce section, smell the vegetables, smell the fruits, smell some of the wild fruits that come in that you don't normally see, Uh, go to the baking section, smell some pumpernickel, smell some... For sure, yep. You know, go to a tea shop, you know, go around and just start smelling things. I could be, you know, giving notes for this 89 Laphroaig, and I'm going to have lavender in there, and you're going to have monkey nuts, and so on and so forth, but the more you train your nose... Just going to your local local grocery store, you may have notes of your own. And while you may identify with some of the ones we talk about, you may say, oh, geez, oh, I remember smelling that, you know, the, the Buddha's finger uh, citrus fruit. And that has a different smell than a lemon. You're getting that in your whiskey. Yeah, I would yeah. add two points to that one. Number one, I agree with you wholeheartedly. 
keep your nose open the whole time you're living your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great book called Parfum, P-A-R-F-U-M, mm. and it's it's really one. It's really about it's a it's a book that's incredibly well written about aromas, and mm. and the central character of this book, his nose is is open all the time, even to an extent that. He wishes it wasn't at yeah, times. Yeah. And so What's uh, his name? I think he's released a video somewhat recently. Parfum? Yeah. Or is this an old old book? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it was published yeah. fair fair whack ago now. Okay. Um and so yeah, keep your nose open in your day to day business and see what you start to pick up. Listen to people who'll say things like farmyard, manure. Mm. Right? That that's just from being in a rural setting, driving through the country, and you're like, oh, horse shit. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then it shows up in a whiskey, and you're like, oh, I've experienced that. Okay. And then uh, the other one for me, yeah. being aware that the olfactory system is connected to your lizard brain. And so when you've got a moment when you sniff a whiskey, and this, I think, builds off of what you're saying about write your own notes, create your own notes. When you smell a whiskey and it takes you back to your grandmother's kitchen, your Mm. aunt's kitchen, you know, Mm -hmm. if it takes you back to your youth or if it smells like a toy that you got one Christmas, uh, you know, like, like embrace that, use that. Don't shy away from that and think, oh, no one has mentioned that, so I'm not going to include it. And that's one of the things I always enjoyed about your tasting notes. Uh, when you were writing your blog, mm-hmm. was that you would absolutely connect to personal things Yes, uh, in yep. your history. You would even connect to things that existed in your imagination. I remember a very famous uh, post from you where T, um, Mark Boland's blue suit. Yes, his blue velvet suit. Yeah, you, you yeah. had a tasting note that connected to that yeah. clearly. You've never tasted that blue velvet suit in your yeah. cream puff. Um, but your imagination connected dots. Yes, it did. It's like when yeah. we'll talk about a texture being like licking a candle. And invariably people in the room go, well, when did you last lick a candle? And I always say, why haven't you been licking candles? Um, <laughs> and boy, do I have something right now that looks like a candle. Uh, if you want to <laughs> practice on it. Um I, you know, I, I, I always the length of your wick, though. That's that's the that's the part that makes me a bit squeamish. But continue. It's always the wick with you. <laughs> and so and so it's those. It's just connecting those dots. And so I think both keeping your nose open of a day, yeah, and keeping yourself open to your memories, and keeping yourself open to your imagination. Mm-hmm. All of that is part of this. But I'll get us out of here on this, concluding. Note, be sure to buy some Clutie dumpling and give that a taste. (laughs) Can I share a memory Uh, uh, with our listeners? Please. Because you and I were somewhere doing something and then did the same thing at the same time. And someone saw us do that something and questioned it. And I hadn't realized how unusual it was when we did this thing. Do you remember what it was? (laughs) <laughs> I could offer some suggestions, but in the interest of brevity, I will leave you with the floor. You and I were in L.A. Okay. Somewhere in California. Maybe not L.A., but somewhere in California. This is the truth on why you're no longer allowed to go to California. Yeah, right. And it was somewhere around 2013-ish. Okay. And for some reason or another, 
the chef at a restaurant asked us to to come and critique his food. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember that this? very well. Yes, very well. So, so we went to the restaurant, and and you know he took care of us personally. It was it was very cool, and he just you know asked us what we were interested in. You warned him beforehand that we're both vegetarian and we're looking for. We may have been doing vegan at that time, anyway, and so we order us. We order the meals, and they come delivered by the chef, and. The plate sits in front of you. The plate sits in front of me, and both of us at the same time grab the plates and just bring it to our nose, and we're smelling every bit of the plate. Now you and I did that without consulting one another. Mm-hmm. We just yep. went shoop. Yep. And I don't know if like I don't know how food critics critique food, but that was instinctual for you and I to do yeah. that. And I remember yeah. the chef saying. Oof, never seen anyone do that before. <laughs> but how interesting it was that both of us had this instinct to yeah. just grab the plate and just smell it. Yeah. Right? Your nose tells you not exactly what you're going to be tasting, but it's going to give you a good idea as to what you will be tasting. Yeah, so much. So right? much introduction from your nose. And uh, so, yeah, so I find myself still doing that stuff. Oh, and, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'll even do it in the house with dinner. I'll just start sticking my nose. Eleven? <laughs> oh, it's eleven. It's eleven a.m. There's the fire alarm. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You nearly jumped a country mile there. I know. I know. It, it, oh. I. You told me this morning. Oh. Fire alarm's going on at eleven a.m. Oh. Be prepared. Here oh. we are, eleven a.m. Lost track of time a little bit there with our chatting to one another. Uh huh. And and so. Just to close that out, I'll be sitting at the dinner table with my boys, sticking my nose in, in various parts of dinner. Mm. And the, they always just look at me. They always comment. I go, there's dad again. <laughs> and I guarantee you when they become adults and they do it, yeah, they're going to be like, do you remember when dad used to do that at yeah. the table and we made fun of him? I'll be like, yes, you little shits. Yeah, there was a, I remember it well. There was a, a video when you were talking about that author. There was a, a video released recently, maybe two, three minutes long. And... It, it was entitled How to Taste. And the guy talked about, he didn't teach you how to taste. He just encouraged you to taste and to pay attention more. And he talked about how wonderful that could be, but at the same time, how unfortunate it could be. Because once you start honing your nosing and tasting skills, mm, oh yeah, things that tasted good previously yeah. don't taste as good as they had. And I'd be willing to 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 poke back on that one and say, but you can still take things like baby vomit. You can still take things like, you know, urine covered straw. You can still take. <laughs> yeah, he's, his face is so god goddamn straight right now. But yes, fresh yes. manure mm-hmm. and freshly cleaned dairy, and and they and by that I mean dairy where cows are actually milked, not freshly cleaned milk that you just bought at the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, 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 but like a dairy. Right. You can still take all of those things, and, yeah. and, and I, I would say enjoy the whiskey more for them having that type of component. Right, because it is a component. To, just to clarify, given that there was some confusion over which uh, parfum we were talking about, um, here we have Perfume, the story of a murderer by Patrick Suskind. 
1985 literary historical fantasy novel. Mm. So there you go. Mm. Yeah, if anybody's interested in that, uh, have a go at it. It goes places you wouldn't expect it to when you first start reading it, but I'll leave it at that. Um, I'll also say that night with the dinner where we had our noses in the plates with the chef mm. ended in a very interesting way that we might get into in another podcast, but not today. Yeah, yeah, not today. Okay, I told you that I had something here for pivoting. and mm-hmm. First off, I want to say that I haven't laughed as much at one of your episodes as I have at this one. This one being the Mark Watt Masterclass. Oh, okay. The way you guys and Mark play off of each other is fantastic. Which bodes very well for a future podcast that mm-hmm. is coming up. Um, but then Ariel Green, I know I, I didn't oh, use yeah. the name yeah, right yeah, off yeah. the bat. Yeah. Uh, Ariel Green then goes on with, secondly, I have a couple of questions for you guys. One. Are we supposed to address emails to J, J, and J now that you have hired Jess? And do you plan on hiring anyone whose name doesn't start with a J? Um, I would say the first part of that, yes. Go ahead, triple J if you want. Triple J if you're nasty. <laughs> and do you plan on hiring anyone whose name doesn't start with a J? No, we don't. We will yeah. contract people yeah. whose name doesn't start with J. But I, I, we're going to have a hard time hiring anybody who, whose name doesn't have a J. So if you would like to work for us, please go ahead and change your name now. And when you apply for the job, make sure you tell us that you went to the trouble of changing mm. your name. Yeah, like like Jariel Green, I think would be a great, <laughs> that's a good name. <laughs> and then and number two, and here's the question we can dive into. You guys have talked about how you may need to change things up a bit since the tariff increase. Yeah. What are the chances that you bottle some Japanese whiskey? Is the demand for Japanese whiskey so high that it doesn't make bottling some cost-effective? Or is there some other reason that you haven't bottled one yet? I apologize if you have bottled one in the past, but I couldn't find any evidence in the bottle archive of you having done so. Uh, Thanks for the question, Ariel. Yeah, thank you. Japanese whiskey, Joshua. We'd love to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, we would love to bottle Japanese whiskey. It goes beyond just a supply issue. I forget who we were talking to, but so much logistics falls into place. So I'm going to use the example of a non-Japanese whiskey gives you an idea of how logistics can get in the way of people bottling things. And we met earlier this week with George Grant and Callum Fraser of Glen Farkless. Regular listeners and Single Cast Nation members will know we bottled a nine-year-old Glen Farkless. There's actually two casks married together. That was an early double cask nation release. And last February, we selected two more Glenfarclas casks, this time 11-year-olds. And nearly an entire year went by with us not bottling it. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with Glenfarclas. It has to do with the logistics of the importer going through a bit of a reorganization. And how do they assign the proper person to work with Glenfarclas? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, logistics runs deep. Runs really deep. And and think about our first nine-year-old. The conversation with Glenn Farkless about bottling whiskey started in 2012, 2013. Yeah. We, fu- we finally got the Glenn Farkless rolling in 2000, late 2018, right? Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, rolling slightly before that. Sailing, yeah, 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 sailing yeah. late 2018, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so my point is sometimes it's not just a supply issue. Sometimes there are other things that can either be speed bumps, sometimes stop you completely, you know, and, and sometimes it could just make a project which you thought would be a few months be a few years-long project. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Japanese whiskey, yes, there's 100% a supply issue. There's a couple of distilleries I would love to bottle from, um, two of which aren't even Japanese single malt whiskey. They're producing whiskey from rice. Mm-hmm. right? And it's a matter of, A, can we get them to say yes? But then it's a matter of logistically getting our glass over there to bottle and will our bottles work in their bottling hall and so on and so forth so it's it's sometimes it's tied to things that have nothing to do with supply it is and I, and I think without being deep in the business we used to make some assumptions of how do we just get the liquid yeah and it's very interesting to be in a place where Sometimes getting the liquid is the least of your troubles. Mm. Not with Japanese whiskey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's 100% a problem. Uh-huh. But but just other places where you think, if we could just get the juice, it would all work out. Mm-hmm. And and it is. Like even talking about how do the tops go in a bottle? Yeah. Like sometimes that can make for a, a non-starter. Or you need another piece of equipment, another bit of machinery. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it all runs deeper than than we ever thought getting into the industry. Yeah. And even now, you know, nine years into this, we're still discovering new wrinkles mm. uh, every day. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, th- I think the short answer is we would love, love, love to bottle Japanese whiskey. We have nothing on the horizon. Yeah. We have nothing... Um, we have no secrets that we're currently keeping from Jess on nope. this one. Nope. It's, we're just, every day, we just keep our eyes and ears open for Japanese whiskey. Uh-huh. I, I just have to quickly jump in here yeah. to say, okay. this 89 Lafroig, I'm absolutely loving. I think it's fantastic. I finished it. it. Was it an OB for this? Yeah, it was, it was an OB. Okay. So for listeners that don't know what that term is, OB means owner's bottling. So Lafroig bottled it themselves where IB would be independent bottling and yeah. an independent bottler would have bottled it. So in this case, no, it was an OB bottled for the Swedish market. I've always taken OB to be official bottling. Yeah, I, I guess it can go kind of both ways. Yep. ACDC? Canheads, canheads? Next question. <laughs> I would like to... You're really popping around here. I didn't I, in some yeah, chronological I, 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 order. You're just jumping around. Yeah, I'm jumping around a little bit. Cherry picking your questions. Yep, I'm going to cherry pick because I really liked this one. And you and I said, oh, this is a good one. This is this one's going to be fun. So I'm putting it in here to ensure we don't miss it because we got so many. There will be some we have to miss. Okay. I don't want to miss this one. Okay. Q was not answering it in a fun way. This is from Richard Baum. Yes. 
the subject is just entitled Q for the podcast, which I assume he means the oh. guy from Star Trek, right? Oh, I like it. Yeah. Q. Q. For me, for you, it's got a Star Trek feel. For me, it's got a Bond feel. Oh, God, I hate James Bond. Here's Q. Here's M. Mm. Here's Octopussy. So he says, at the risk of being a party pooper. Mm. Party pooper. Here's a question that sometimes crosses my mind. Is it different from being a party popper? What's a party popper? Oh, a party popper. You have those in America. Yeah, we do. Yeah, party popper. You know what we don't have that you have more of? The crackers. Mm, yes, Christmas Day crackers. Yeah, Christmas Day crackers. Pooling crackers, not cheese and crackers. Correct. Yes. And you pop them open, they're like tiny explosive pinatas? Yep, yep. You have a little hat that you can put on, a little joke that you can tell, yeah. a little toy that you can lose in yeah. the dog's nose in an hour. <laughs> not speaking from personal history. <laughs> so he, he, he says... Uh, here's a question that comes. Here's a question that crosses my mind. Easy those, for you to say. <laughs> on those infrequent occasions when I'm enjoying one glass too many. Mm-hmm. How do people in the whiskey industry manage their alcohol consumption? Mm-hmm. Whenever one hears of the untimely demise of someone in the distilling or cocktail business, it's only natural to wonder whether their job contributed to their early passing. Even if the net impact of the pros and cons of moderate drinking turns out to be unfavorable, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to potentially sacrifice a year or two of longevity in return for the pleasure I get from sensible consumption of whiskey. But how do you strike the right balance when your work revolves around alcohol? Wishing you the very best of health, Richard. (laughs) That's a good exit on that good signature. Um, I would yeah, okay. I would begin by saying when you see industry folk out and about, and I'm not going to talk about the bar scene because I'm really, I've never been a bartender. I've never really hung around with bartenders. Same. I, you know, I can talk to the industry side of what you and I do and who we hang out with. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so when you see someone, you know, a brand ambassador or, or Jason and Josh, Come to your city and do a tasting. Joshua, yeah. <laughs> sorry. sorry, I can't help but use the diminutive when I see you without your pants on. Diminutive mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and so when, when we show up in, in a city and do a tasting, you're seeing us in a, in a non-usual setting mm. for us. Mm-hmm. And so we, we love being there. We love being in person. We love pouring and talking and tasting. And I've, I've done it in my tastings where I haven't maybe tasted that particular release in six or eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. And when I'm tasting it with a group, I, I might be revisiting it yeah. and, and saying some oohs and ahs and remembering why we selected it. And then... I might go out for drinks with people afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, good nation members, maybe a bar owner, something like that. Yeah. And there's drinking and going into the wee small hours, maybe not eating quite enough dinner or maybe eating too much dinner at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or all- not having enough water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all of this leads to me saying, when I'm home, I don't really drink. And I certainly don't drink to the same extent 
that we do mm-hmm. when we're either on a on a week's work trip, like yeah. the one we're currently on, yeah, yeah, yeah. or we've done a you know a series of tastings in an American city. Mm-hmm. I I might have one dram of an evening. Might mm-hmm. I might have a cocktail with dinner. Might. Mm. But I'm pretty much these days off of beer because 45-year-old bodies and beer don't get along. They do not get along. And and all. we're doing so much punishing on our trips that I don't also need to be doing punishing <laughs> at home. So, uh-huh. so I'm I'm really I'm really sad that 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 beer for me has gone the way of the dodo at home. Um, I might also have a glass of wine as a as a healthy option, mm. which I think is a quote unquote healthy option. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I'm just drinking water. Or I'm drinking diluting juice, and and just trying to get myself as hydrated as possible for the next the next trip. And and one more comment, and then we'll hear your experience, Joshua. Sure. When we, you know, Scotland's a great example of this. When we go to Scotland for a week. Yeah. We're in Glasgow one night, Elgin one night, Edinburgh one night. Maybe air, maybe we'll go see my brother or I'll go see my mom or or we'll go down south and we'll see David Stark. Mm-hmm. That's one night, one night, one night, one night. So each of those people that we see, oh, Jason and Joshua in town, come on down, have some dinner and have a good dinner. Or let's yeah. go out for dinner. Let's have a beer or a couple of beers. Let's, oh, I've got some special bottles to share with you. And we love, love, love all of that. Love we that. love seeing those yeah. friends. But for those people, that's one night out of their week. Yeah. And for you and I, it turns out to seven nights out of a week. Uh-huh. And that's, that's a lot. And that really speaks to why when we go home, we kind of shut down a bit. Yes. I've gotten to the point where I've almost shut down completely. I, I, there, there was a good long time in my life where I would be sure to have, at the very least, and usually at the very most, you know, a good dram in the evening, right? The famous Joshua pour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, your day is done, dinner's done, kids are in bed, just hanging out. And I've got a dram there, and I could be reading a book or watching a show, and I'm just slowly enjoying that whiskey. And and I loved beer. You know, during the day, you know, you have one beer, you have two beers. Maybe you have a third beer, you're mm-hmm. feeling good. Lower alcohol, you're keeping it kind of sessionable, that kind of thing. And and I, and I don't do that. I, I never reach for beer anymore. Mm-hmm. I do don't ever reach for wine. I rarely, if ever, reach for whiskey unless I'm working, unless we have to do samples. Um, sometimes you and I will have a whiskey in hand when we're recording, but more often than not, we find ourselves with tea. <laughs> but that's just me personally. Yeah, c- can I just interject for one second? Yeah. You and I love beer. You love and I beer. love oh my the flavors of beer. The texture of beer. The you aromas. You and I love the social yes. aspect of beer. Yes. And so when we find ourselves back out and about again, it's a great excuse to have beer, explore beer, taste beer, share beer. It's just at home that it's gone a little bit yeah. quiet yeah. to protect us 
100%. Same as sherry, same as red wine, same as whiskey. Yeah. We love it all. Yes. And so thank you for clarifying because it it appears that I didn't. I was explaining my home life. Yep. Right? Now, a bit more closer to Richard's question, there are actually rules and regulations around, at least in the U.S. I don't know how it is for other countries, but around drinking and those within the drinks industry. If you're a brand ambassador or a salesperson selling whiskey uh, or tasting people on whiskey or you're that person in a store saying, hey, do you want to try whiskey? You're meant to have a license to be able to do that. Mm. And let's say you have that license and you're doing that legally and you have too much of a drink and you get pulled over for drunken driving or something terrible happens. That license is revoked, and legally you will not be able to work in that state further. And my understanding, I could be wrong on this, but my understanding is that it's a one strike and you're out. There's there's no, it is black and white. Switch is mm. off, now it's on. That's it. Serious business. Yeah. So, so there are certain measures in place to help minimize that. Granted, there's always situations and and i think the same too you know hearing folks like dave pickerel who died at a at a a young age and just a month or two ago i think there were two different bartenders in their 40 somewhere between 40 and 60 years old you know still by today's standards pretty young but did drinking as your day in day out life have an impact on that. I can't speak to them, but... But then look at David Stewart. Look at Richard Patterson. Yeah, right. Look at our friend Dennis Malcolm at Glenn Grant. Lifetimes spent in the industry. Look at Jimmy Russell. Yeah. Lifetimes spent in the industry. And so I I wonder if... I wonder if we're too quick to attribute the reason when we lose someone young. And maybe we're too quick to attribute the benefits when we see somebody older. Yeah. Maybe it's just another swath of the population that has the same variables mm-hmm. as the rest of the population. Yeah, but it becomes newsworthy. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I would add here as well is when you and I you know, have a day where we're going from store to store and we're, we're presenting in front of buyers and we're there to pour samples to see if they want to bring in the whiskey... They'll say, how many cups are, are you are you tasting too? And we say, no, no, we're doing six of these visits, eight of these visits, 10 mm-hmm. and 12 of these visits today. Well, it's not going to work to sample with you. It's not a social visit. No. It's, yeah, exactly. uh, this is... I've tasted it. Yeah. I know my notes. I know what I want to present to you. You taste it. I'll talk. And it's maybe a 30 minute visit. Mm-hmm. They're they're not long times, right? You got to get on to the next store, present to the next person. Yeah. So so there's not drinking all the time. I would say, the way I conduct business is those nighttime tastings. It's yeah. a group of twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred. Yeah. I like the social aspect of that. I mm-hmm. I've also had a good day in the market. I'm having a little bit of a drink with them at night. I'm sharing that experience yeah, yeah. with them at night, which I think at a tasting 
is very different than a showing or a presentation yes. in a liquor store yes. or yeah. a retail store. Yeah. Yep. So there are definitely different ways of doing business, different feelings when one is conducting said business, mm. and the knowledge that mm, when you get that little bit of taste, when the sun goes down, mm. that's when it gets dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to, and I'll, I'll, end, I'll end it here, but you know, going into New York as often as I do, the thing that I would look forward to the most, if I'm not staying over, if I'm taking that train home, mm. I would look forward to that that beer, that beer on the train, <laughs> and and that is now the last thing that I want. I just got done doing a seminar. I just tasted people through six different whiskeys. I enjoyed those whiskeys myself. <laughs> I want uh, some water <laughs> and maybe a black and white cookie if I really want to treat myself. But yeah, it, uh, working in the drinks industry, you definitely run into the propensity of drinking too much. Oh, yeah. And alcohol is a drug. And if your body is prone to... Uh, if you have an addictive personality... Things could go sideways for sure. But there are so many, far more within the industry that are just normal people, people living normal lives, just have, having happen to be working in the drinks industry. Um, and that just doesn't pop into the news. Yep. And there's right. a reason we all say, please drink responsibly. You know, yeah. it's just take care of yourself, know your limits. Mm-hmm. And enjoy it, right? Have yeah. a wee bit and enjoy it. And we've heard plenty of people who say, I now buy more expensive alcohol, yeah, but I drink less of it. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. You know. All right, what do we have next? Um, so just as you were talking about books there, Joshua, enjoying a book with a dram. Oh, yeah. yeah. We had a question along that line from our very good friend, Mark Watt, <laughs> who's an avid, avid listener. It still uh, blows my mind that that <laughs> that Mark would ask us questions. Uh, it's fantastic to see yeah. come in. So here we go. Here's here's a question from Mark Watt. Hi, Jason and Joshua, and Joshua and Jason. Oh, look at that. Long-time listener, first-time emailer here. First of all, thanks for pr- providing us with your always entertaining and always informative podcast. <laughs> it is something that I always look forward to. In a recent episode, you asked for questions... So I thought I should send in one or two. I have a bit of a collection when it comes to whiskey and booze books. Somewhere north of 200, I would imagine. And I wanted to know what your favourite A, booze books are, Mm. and B, favourite whiskey authors. I have had the privilege to meet many whiskey authors and often feel like Jason did when he met Dave Broom but in these people's company. So we'd be very interested to hear your opinions. Okay, so so let's bring it up to the, the front of this. And favorite booze books and favorite whiskey authors. Okay, I'll chime in here if you wouldn't mind. Uh, my favorite whiskey author, and I haven't read all of his books, but I, I really love Hans Ofringa. Hmm. His writing aside, which, which which I find nice, sometimes it's a bit dry, but 
he's got a very analytical kind of brain mm-hmm. going on. Um, and so I, I, I kind of like that because I oftentimes have that analytical brain. So I've, all, so I've enjoyed his books. But what I really enjoyed was getting to meet him for the first time three years ago mm. and, f- and finding out he's easily one of the kindest, sweetest people in the world I've ever met. Mm. He is just as lovely and caring as could be. Fantastic. And that could, that could make a terrible author an amazing author, in my opinion, right? Just an amazing person. But I, I, enjoy his, I enjoy his writing. So the first book I got from him was The Road to Kregeliki, which is an older book. I think it may have been one of his first books. And it's just, you know, about his, um, his venture into the whiskey world, which I really liked. You know, we all have our, our origin stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's, so it, 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 it gets a bit origin in there, if you will, and I like that. Uh, Alfred Bernard with his 18... 1880s, I think. Yeah, 1880s book. I have that. That's a book that I've dipped in and out of, and it's one that I felt it is a staple. It's got, got to be on my shelves. Though I haven't gotten through all of it, <laughs> um, but the parts that I've that I've read are fascinating because you have, you know, the point of view of a man from from now 140 years ago, writing about a, a spirit from his modern day perspective, which I think is pretty damn wild. Yeah, and he was prolific, and he did a thorough, thorough tour of what was open at that time. So yeah. historically. It's incredibly rich as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to bounce off of what you just said there about something from a while back. Uh, one of the books that I recommend to everybody all the time, and it actually came up in conversation in Glasgow just a couple of days ago, is Whiskey by first name that I'm not clear on how to pronounce Anus. It, right? Yeah, it's Anus. <laughs> A-E-N-E-A-S. No, sorry, that's pronounced rectum. Sorry, I get, I get that so confused. It's the A-E that changes it up. Uh, so Whiskey by Anish MacDonald was first published in 1930. Yeah. And it's as much about the social and the culture as it is about listing the distilleries in operation. Yeah. And it's such a wonderful look back in time, also written by somebody who came from a teetotaling family. Mm-hmm. As I've said many times, my wife is completely teetotal. Mm. Uh, not for religious, <laughs> political, cultural reasons. It just doesn't agree with her. Yeah. And just like you and I have pulled back on the beer at home a little bit, she's pulled back on everything uh, for her entire <laughs> adult life. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, I, I've gifted many people uh, Anish McDonald's book, and I know I've gifted it to you. So you want to know what's so funny? I've had two people gift me that book, <laughs> um, and and I I do appreciate it. So you gifted me that book, and Bill Lumsden. Oh, fantastic! Gifted me that oh, book. Foie, foie, foie. That's just me dropping names. Wowzers! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who gave it to you first? You gave it to me first. I didn't have the heart to tell Bill, and now I'm not sure if he listens to this podcast. Bill, I do appreciate you giving me that book. Did he also sign the copy he gave you? He did, yeah. 
off, off, off. Uh, mine got lost in the post, apparently. Yeah, he just handed it to me in person. Insert awkward. While we're having some wrestling together. Insert awkward silence here. <laughs> what was the first question? Who would win in a fight between Jason and Joshua? <laughs> <laughs> silence. Silence would win. Silence would, would totally win. Um, and so, so yeah, Anish, Anish McDonald uh, is absolutely one for me. Your Alpha Bernard is a good one. The one that we buy year in and year out, many, 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 many people do. Ingvar Rond, malt whiskey yearbook. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, and that. Thank you. I was going to close with that. Right. It's there are so many wonderful historical books. Uh, a good friend of ours, Robin Robinson, just came out with his book, The Complete Whiskey Course. Yep. If we're going to start listing right. our friends who have got recently released books, we're going to be here a while, and we're going to upset some people by not including them. <laughs> yeah. So I am not going to jump onto that yeah. that list uh, reading approach. So Ingvar, for sure, with the Malt Whiskey Yearbook, is such a winner. Um, and then, in terms of a booze book that's not even a whiskey book, oh, um, Tom Bullock, his book on mezcal is, again, very much about the culture yeah. and, and the social nature of it. As mm-hmm. much as, yes, there's information about brands, there's information mm-hmm. about bars, I, I loved learning process through that i thought he dealt with process in a very nice way and and so that's a book i bought for you as well mm-hmm. and have highly highly recommended to many people even at tastings when i've poured our mezcal i've yeah. recommended tom bullock's book on mezcal uh, really well worth your time but yeah, there's there's so many, and then if you want to go into whiskey authors, which Mark was asking there, for me it's it's the original uh, three-headed whiskey monster, Dave Broom, Charlie McLean, Michael Jackson, like those three guys, yeah. instrumental in me learning about the industry, the culture, the people, uh, and really the love of people that exists in this industry, mm. and obviously. There are hundreds more whiskey authors who we've read, who we value. We're not going to get into just naming a list here. <laughs> Those three are three dear, dear people, and I've met yeah. two of them, and unfortunately will never have the chance to meet Michael Jackson. And and that really does cut me up. It does. I, I would yeah, have same. loved to have spent some time with him. Here we are in London talking about you know Michael Jackson being gone. So. Mm. Yeah, so you named your three. I would, I'd throw my hat in the ring for those as well. And, and I just would like to add on uh, again Hans Offringa because yeah. I just, I love his writing and I just, um, I really, he's, he's near and dear to my heart. I'm going to put a twist in the tail. Oh, shit. I think I saw that movie. Go on. Without Sam Simmons and his blog, Dr. Whiskey. From him heading up his university whiskey society, Mm -hmm. to him working around the periphery of the industry, to him going back to Canada and starting his blog, Mm -hmm. to then going into Balvini and working his way up the ranks of Balvini, to now being with that boutique whiskey company, Independent Bottler. If I hadn't had Sam as an example of what is possible in this industry, I don't know if you and I would have yes we would have had our blogs but would we have in concert worked hard to turn that into what we've gone ahead and turned it into 
Yeah. I, uh, the, the thought that you could, yeah. and it's always a funny thing to say about the industry, without formal qualification, because who the hell knows what formal qualification is in this industry, right? <laughs> yeah. But the thought of just having access to the internet and writing about whiskey, yeah. turning that into a role within this much greater industry mm. seems like it would have been a big ask. Yes. But there was Sam Simmons. There was Sam Simmons. And so I'm glad you brought up his name. I was thinking print authors yeah, yeah. only. Yeah, and that's why it's a wee yeah, twist. Yeah, we twist. Yeah, it, it was because of Sam that before even starting this company, I was thinking, okay, he, he became the Belveni brand ambassador. Let me start casting the net out and see if I yeah. can get something. And so I started doing that. And I quickly realized that the brand ambassador job is not for me. You, it's easier if you are single and don't have children. Very much so. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I didn't let that stop me. I thought, well, there's got to be another way. Obviously, there is a way into this industry. If a blogger can do it and do it successfully mm -hmm. and also be a wonderful asset to this industry. Absolutely. Right? A real true asset to the industry. How else can someone do it if not the Sam Simmons way? And that's how I got to thinking about independent bottling and then finally reaching out to you. A hundred percent. It's been interesting to see Sam's journey for the moment land him in independent bottling right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what's our next email we have got well we've got a lot to choose from i love it i love how much choice we have i know i know we have been spoiled this go around we did get a question from uh lawrence van rin mm, yes right? seemingly european yes uh well i, I would say so because part of the question is regarding malt stock. So we must have met Lawrence there or Lawrence saw one of our tastings. Um, if we have met and we have spoken and I'm not putting the name to the face, I do apologize. And if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, I apologize a second time. But did you want me to read that question? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, well... Lauren's already started on the wrong foot here. It says, hi, hi, Jason Joshua. Perfect. Yeah, so a little, little backwards there, but we'll let it go. It says, a few questions for the podcast. And the first one is, will you be doing a master class at Maltstock this year? And the answer is, we wouldn't miss it for the world. We will be there with bells on. And... Uh, I guess that's it. That's like the quickest we've ever answered a question. <laughs> <laughs> that was answered so quickly, I hadn't even started paying attention to your answer yet. <laughs> Why start now anyway, right? Yeah. So I'm going to assume what you said was spot on. <laughs> Lauren's asked if we're going to be at Maltstock doing a masterclass this year, to which my response was, yes. Oh, so I thought you weren't paying attention. <laughs> Did I stutter? <laughs> Uh, another question, uh, also from Lawrence, is when do you expect your whiskeys to be available in the European market? That's, that's how long is a piece of string? 
That's uh, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. It's a series of Zen Cohens. You know, I went to Hebrew school with the Zen Cohen. (laughs) He's really, really lovely, lovely guy. (laughs) Yeah, we thought about calling our little Zev Zen. Oh, really? Yeah, it didn't fit. Didn't fit. So to answer the question, we are currently in Sweden right now. And we are in conversation with a distributor for the Netherlands. And we're just trying to solidify a deal there. So hopefully we'll be in the Netherlands sooner rather than later. That would be nice. Yes. Uh, We just got a lead on a German importer. So my hope is that if things go according to plan, maybe we'll see something in Germany in March. Uh, that's that's really you know high hopes. E- everything in whiskey takes longer than expected, but I'm hoping for more. He's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. What is that from? That's a Jesus song. He's got. And then there's something about pie in the sky. Oh, big something. You know, I, Oops, there goes another rubber plant. I get that one confused sometimes with, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got Very the different. whole world. Um, yeah, That's so... impressive finger snapping there. I could snap fingers. I could whistle. I could do all sorts of things. I could pretend I have a kazoo in my mouth. You understand I said oppressive and not impressive. Oh, oppressive. Um, and then finally, we're looking at France as well. So we're just trying to solidify something in with France. So This is all true, yes. Yeah. We have a lot of irons in the European fires. Yeah. As far as the UK goes, though, we're now in Master of Malt. We had some stock in Good Spirits Company, but we're all sold out there. So hopefully they'll bring some more in. We'll see. Uh, the Bon Accord yep. shop stocks our whiskeys. And we are in conversation with a few other online retailers. I, I don't want to go into too many details because I don't want to yeah. jinx anything. And then finally, the question from Lawrence is, I'd like to buy an SEN t-shirt. For a, for a tech conference with the same abbreviation. Mm. However, both large and extra large are sold out. When will they be available again? We've talked about a redesign. We did. We did. Yeah, um, I'm afraid that new shirts will not be available likely until after your conference. But then again, you can email us. Let us know when your conference is. If it's later in the year, then there's a good chance we might have some some shirts available. I think it also behooves us to store some in Scotland so that we're not doing international shipping rates, which is a little something that was kind of a fly in the ointment uh, as we were bridging out from the United States into Europe and farther afield. So maybe we'll get some better shipping prices. That's a good point. That's a good point. Good and, point. Well yeah. made. Yep. The last thing that Lauren says is, by the way, I never heard the question about kosher whiskey. It was mm. interesting to hear your answer. Well, that's very good. We, <clears throat> we serve to be somewhat useful 
And I'm glad that was the case in this instance. With a, with with the stress on somewhat. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um I, I so I don't know about you on your side. I'm I'm starting to end my questions that are on my phone. Do you, have you stored any from Faceplace or Instagram or Twitter? I, I think we've got one from Instahams. Okay, there is there is one on my phone that I would like to include right now. Yeah, why don't, why don't you go ahead? Why don't you do that one? So yeah. our, our very good friend and very dear friend, James Foster, wrote in to say, Did I hear you correctly? Malt stock will be in Israel? I can't find that on their webpage. If so, when and where will it be? Is it true that anyone can attend? Or do we have to be quote-unquote industry people? Martha, who is uh, Jamesy's wife, Martha and I would be seriously tempted to do that. Hmm. And I know we have, we've mentioned it in passing and we mention it internally. And I'm forever asking you if you've heard anything. And the latest we have is there's no news there. No, initially the malt stock Israel was going to be in March. It was going to be on a kibbutz. I, I don't think the location has changed, but the timing of it has changed. So the last that I heard, and this was maybe three weeks ago, maybe more now, was that it was going to be sometime in April. My guess is sometime after Passover, which mm-hmm. is in like early to mid-April. I don't know if that's going to get moved. Um, our friends at Milk and Honey, uh, Tomer Gorin and... Uh, also, Rotem Ackerman, who's not with Milk and Honey, but he's part of the Holy Dram group. I think those two were putting malt stock together for Israel. But I guess that behooves us to, to reach out to them and see if it's still happening. Because God knows we would want to share it with our nation members, share it with all of our listeners. Because malt stock, regardless of where it is, is is the is is a wonderful event to be at. Yeah, and we've seen some enthusiasm around the the possibility of a malt stock Israel appearing. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be nice to to serve that enthusiasm with some more information, but we don't know more right now. When we do find out more, we will pass that along. Mm-hmm. Watch this space as they say early and often across the industry. We did receive a you know what we actually received a question from a kyle wardlow mm-hmm. regarding yeasts a very detailed series of questions from <laughs> very kyle. detailed series of <laughs> i questions. love i did love it i absolutely yeah. loved yeah. the email yeah. however out, yeah however uh we we don't however because this is a mailbag episode we, we can't get to this question because it, it's so big. I think it requires its own episode. So firstly, thank you to Kyle for sending in your question. Thank you. And secondly, now that we have these questions in front of us, we're going to start shopping this around to, to future interviewees to see if we can get them to, to better answer your question from their own working perspective. Yeah, I can tell Kyle I'm going to send it along to Gordon Bruce. Oh, since nice. the since the series of questions 
were inspired by the Gordon Bruce conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to the source and see if we can get some deeper questions. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how deep Gordon will want to go over email, but I'm going to put them in front of him and see what comes back. Because okay. he is a good lad uh, who actually is good with the email machine. Yeah. Yep. Good. Uh, but then, as you rightly say, we'll, we'll ask other people as well. One thing we know about our listenership is they cannot hear enough about yeast. So these are pertinent, important, fascinating questions that will get answered by somebody, somewhere, somehow. I tell you, the way you're moving your hands, it's as if you're conducting that conversation. It's, it was just like you got real, real animated there. I do, um, I do feel like animation is important on a podcast. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you see me talk. I use my hands all the time when I'm talking. All the time. Doesn't, all the time. Doesn't really make a difference on a podcast, no. but here we are. No, but it helps the words to come out. Helps the words go down. Let me say one thing before we move on to, to we've got a couple more questions. Please. But in regards to Kyle's question about yeast. Yes, sir. And... As it, as it relates to Gordon Bruce, we got a message from Ian Robertson, right? The head distiller at Resi Distillery, who was... Super chap. ...on a previous episode with us. Yes, he was. He listened to the Gordon Bruce episode, and he said, if you guys make it up to the distillery, I will let you taste our yeast. <laughs> oh, we're coming. We uh -huh. are on our way. Yes, we are. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what a mensch. Yeah, you, you've got a group you need to lead a tour of. I've oh. got a group. We'll get a couple groups up there. Taste some yeast. Why are you guys here? Just to taste your yeast. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Pour me a big, creamy bowl of your yeast, please. Oh. <laughs> so that was good. I did not see that message come in from Ian Robertson. Where did it come into? That was through the One Nation Under Whiskey messages. Facebook or Instagram? Sorry, Facebook. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I um, never, never, ever, ever, ever look there. So. I know you don't. I know you don't. That's of, all why. The places, of all the places I don't look, that's the one I don't look at the most. Well, that's why I've just given myself the title of CFO, <laughs> uh, Chief Facebook Officer. <laughs> Uh, uh, so listen, we have we have two final questions that I want us to get to, and the first one is from, and you may recognize this name. Uh huh. It's from Kiefer Johnson. Do you remember Kiefer? Oh, very much. We made a lot of Kiefer Sutherland comments the last time <laughs> we had this name on the podcast. Uh, I am not making any right now. <laughs> it reminds me. There, I don't know if you've ever seen it. The old remake of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland. Okay, Do you yes. remember that? Mm hmm Yeah, I love that movie. Haven't seen it in years. <laughs> Just want to make sure you well, remember Well, that was it. very nearly a spit take. <laughs> <laughs> That's the extent of it. Good That's grief. it. That's my story. You're welcome. Oh. That's my story. Is that a is that a song or is that a movie? That's my story. That's my story. This is my story. No, no, I think it's one of those. Anyway, and what does the good Kiefer have to have to say? Well, I love the way Kiefer 
gives us a salutation, and the salutation is Jashonua. 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 Yeah, which is a perfect. You know. It's not Jashonua, not Joshonua. I think it's Jashonua. Is it Jashonua? I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jashonua. Yeah. Yeah. Would you Super say would you say smart. that those two words together that they're discombobulated or has he combobulated them? <laughs> is that a is that a discombobulation or a combobulation? I I'm not sure what you take the meanings of those words to be. Well, it's more like a discombobulation. What do you well, I don't it's, know what you're talking about? It's a crazy portmanteau, but it's not really a portmanteau oh, yeah, because it's not, he's it's not a portmanteau. Right, so it's it's like taking letters and putting them in a Yahtzee cup, and then just, boom, <laughs> and out it goes. And so and, long as the JAS comes out the cup first, I'm happy. <laughs> anyway, so Kiefer goes on, says, "I have one simple question for the mailbag episode of the podcast, and one slightly more complicated Ooh. question." Ooh, see that? First question. Will SEN be bottling more rum in 2020? Simple answer to a simple question. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. We were tasting some rums this morning. And they range in origin from South, do. South America to some islands to other places. <laughs> Don't want to get too specific. And... With regards to his second question, it says, second question, have you thought about bottling a rum agricole for single cast nation? So, we are primarily a whiskey podcast. Maybe not all of our listeners know what a rum agricole product is. That's a good point. So, let me throw the floor over to you, Joshua. Because you you have a lot of you have a lot of confidence when it comes to the world of spirits, and I, I've said it before in, in many places. I didn't grow up a whiskey person. Um, it wasn't until I went to university, and then once I discovered the pleasures and the joys of single malt Scotch at university, mm. I did not explore other categories. It's only been in the last few years mm -hmm. that I have started exploring categories outside the world of single malt scotch. Whereas I feel like you, even, even when you came to the world of, of single malt scotch, you were still dipping a toe and, and dabbling in other categories. So I, I feel like you have the confidence to tell us what a rum agricole product is. The biggest difference between rum and rum agricole. Now, when you see the words rum agricole, mm -hmm. the rum in rum agricole is usually R-H-U-M. And that's just because it, it's really the the whole agricole thing, agricole thing is, is of French origin. And rum is just spelled differently in French than it is elsewhere. So R-H-U-M rather than R-U-M. Hmm. So when it comes to rum production, you've got column stills and copper pot stills. 
But then you've also, you start off with your base differently. Most rums, R-U-M, is from molasses, mm. whereas rum agricole is from cane sugar. Okay. Agri- so far. Right? Agricole itself means agricultural. Makes sense. Right? So the idea behind a rum agricole is that in the process, they're trying to make a rum that is indicative of the terroir it's coming from. Right? So it's a heavier style, potentially a grassier style, quite often a funkier style, very earthy of the earth, right? Mm, Okay. So when I first hear the word agricole, I did think funky, but it had me thinking of those ones that have got like a big cheesy note or really pronounced nail polish remover. Yeah. Is that within the same category or, or is that a different aspect? Like I've had some Fijian rum that was really wild and wacky and funky and some people have mentioned almost a blue cheese note to it, mm-hmm. which I think when a an independent bottler known for bottling whiskey delves into the world of rum they're often whiskey like rums yeah. like our our 18 year old spanish rum that we did yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. as soon as we nose that boom this is a rum for whiskey drinkers to then go into something really funky really for the rum geeks and and i think regular mm-hmm. listeners knows know that i use that with much love in my heart but to bottle something for rum geeks we're gonna have to get into a pattern of putting out rum, being known for rum, and then getting a following, then having the appropriate base okay. to put a, a rum geek rum out there. So uh, I, I think in due course we'll get into the funkies, but right now I think we're more focused on uh, a rum that's a kissing cousin to a whiskey. Would you agree with that? Is, is that a fair statement for us to be making? Yeah, you know, no, I think I think that is a fair statement, and I and I think I think it's good to call upon the. Uh, I'm going to invoke the name of Mark Watt here. Quite right, right? Where like Mark, we are whiskey people. I know a bit more about rum than you do. I may know a bit more about sherry than you do. You may know a bit more about mezcal than I do. You know, in the end, all information aside, we we drink what we like. And we're coming to that drink from a whiskey perspective. And so that may mean when it comes to the world of rum that we're going to pick things that we will pick something that would allow our whiskey drinkers to follow us along in that journey. Exactly. Right? That was very well put, Joshua. Thank you. Now, and when you know, it, you know, I mean it because I never say that. So, <laughs> thank that's you. A, that's thank a compliment you, from a from thank a deep you, place. You. Wow, wow. So, would we do a rum agricole? I think so long as it's not so funky, we might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then there's another kind of rum, and I don't I don't think it, right. And so this is where my knowledge of rum gets a little shaky. Okay. <laughs> 
So rum agricole is typically a French thing, uh, or French islands and things like that, and you mm-hmm. get that funky, earthy thing going on. But then there's also rum from Jamaica, and and I think some other islands where they use something called a dunder pit, mm, which I have heard this right, which also provides this sort of terroir-driven spirit. But they'll use anything in there. I mean, the the the, the biggest story about the dunder pits <laughs> is these producers will use like like rotting goat heads and put it in there. Um, you know, there's if you search around um, on on the World Wide Net web and just look for dunder pits, you will find all sorts of crazy things. Now, not every dunder pit is going to have goat heads in it. And how they incorporate that dunder pit into, you know, is it part of fermentation? Is it after distillation? Like that part of it, I'm a, I'm a bit shaky on, so I don't want to commit to anything. Were you researching this on the dark web at all? Had you moved into some satanic circles? Because I was... hear rotting goat heads and I, I can't not think of satanic ritual. It's not net. I don't get that joke. Bamfo dot Matt. No, not with you. This is specialist humor that's not. That's. Have you ever seen the, the devil that the Church of Satan uses? No. <laughs> <laughs> when were you last at one of their services? <laughs> it's been a while. I'm, I'm more of a rela- relapsed. Bamphomet is apparently the name of the devil or a devil, and Satan worshippers have a statue of Bamphomet. It's a guy's body with a goat head, and he does the whole three-fingered thing. See this? Come for the whiskey nonsense, stay for the rum information, leave when we get on to satanic rituals. (laughs) Uh, So when it comes to rum agricole, we're definitely interested. I've had some really tasty ones, but I also know that they're so funky that people may not follow us on that journey. The dunder pit rums that I've had, the heavy pot still Jamaican ones... I haven't had many of them. The ones that I've had have been, uh, I've been told, didn't have goat heads as part you were of told, the thing. Yeah. No, there's no goat heads <laughs> in here. No goat heads. Uh, was was vegetarian? Definitely... You say? Yeah, this is. This has got no goat head in it. I... Yeah. Well, it was wow. definitely way too funky for me. Uh, but apparently, people like to use it in cocktails. Like our friend Dave Schmier has a brand called The Funk. Which is just... Is that goat head? So that I don't know. I know that it's unaged rum, 50% alcohol, and it's one of these, you know, Dunder, Dunder Mifflin, Dunder Pit rums. And he gave me a bottle and I I opened it and it, it was clearly nothing that as a human I would ever consume. But then I've had cocktails where they've used a bit of this and it's amazing in cocktails, right? So I, I'm, hope, I'm hoping Dave Schmier, our good friend Dave Schmier, is of the mind that no press is bad press. Because you've now just said no human being would ever consume his product except 
in a cocktail. In the form of a cocktail. Which is exactly how he pitches it. It's a cocktailable product. So I hope he if, puts that on his marketing brochures. <laughs> if anything, I have just given him free press. He's probably making money off of this episode right now. And we should be charging him royalties. Uh, man, I wish at the start of this episode somebody had said to me, What's the over-under on the number of times Dunder Pit will be used in today's episode? <laughs> and, and if they'd given me an over-under of one, I would have taken the under. Uh, and instead, <laughs> it's been used approximately 1,000 times. And I didn't see that coming. Mm. So I, I live to be surprised by you, Joshua. Yeah. And today, I am at my most surprised. So thank you for that. I'm also surprised by you. And do you know why? I've given you exactly 1,000 chances to use the word Dunderheed. <laughs> and I, you haven't. You haven't. I, I just couldn't get Dunder Mifflin pit out of my head, and so I didn't say anything until you, and then you went ahead and said it. But yeah, Dunderheed, I, I didn't. I didn't yeah. even think it. Didn't even cross my heed. Hmm? So here we are. Again. Okay, let's get out of here on this. On the good Jim Cook question. Again, a name that we remember from previous. Mm-hmm. Yep, Massachusetts guy. He, uh, I see him at every Julio's tasting I do oh, there. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Right? Um, or the Julio's Go Whiskey Weekend, I always see him there. But not this year. Uh, no, because guess who's having a bar mitzvah during this time? I hope it's my kid. I hope it's your kid, too. <laughs> if not, I'm going to be going to some stranger's bar mitzvah. <laughs> Checks out. Some kid named in, in Virginia. They don't happen every weekend here. Definitely not in Charlottesville. Um, okay, so <laughs> so the, Jim says, "Dear J and J, you were so helpful last year with my query regarding how to explain quote wood penetration unquote uh, to my girlfriend that I thought I'd submit another question." Many whiskey writers mention, quote, mouthfeel as one of the components of whiskey. Very much so, yes. How do you explain this term, and what do you recommend I do to demonstrate mouthfeel to my girlfriend? Yours in whiskey, Jim Cook. So for me, it's it's very very simple to Mm -hmm. begin with. I'll leave you to come up with the example, Joshua. Okay. But for me, mouthfeel is always... What is the weight of what you've just put in your mouth? That to me is, does it does it weigh heavily upon the tongue? Does it weigh heavily yeah. upon the palate? Is it you more know, than 12 ounces? You know, like, when, you, when you, and please do consume responsibly. <laughs> but it is, when you, when you bring that whiskey into your mouth, do you know that you've put something onto your palate. Mm. That, that, that's key for me. We talk about thin whiskey. We talk about flaccid whiskey. Yeah. Uh, those that have maybe been over-diluted, maybe chill-filtered yeah. to within an inch of their lives. Yeah. They, they don't have good structure. They don't have good presence. They certainly don't have good weight. And so, so for me, that's what I'm looking for whenever I bring it into my mouth. Yeah, I look at it differently. I mean, I, I look at it this, the same exact way you do. There's, there's no doubt about it. But when I think about how other people discuss mouthfeel, the vast majority do not use the term mouthfeel or weight 
or uh, viscosity or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. The shorthand is always drum roll, my favorite word. Smooth. Right? Ooh. Right? Um, AKA, one of my least favorite words in the world. Smooth. Ooh. And it's taking a dark I, turn at I, the end of the episode. <laughs> I think what people are really trying Ooh. to say is the whiskey isn't thin. The alcohol isn't burning me. And if they really paid attention to that sensation beyond, quote, smoothness, and just close their eyes and focused on the liquid, they would find that weight. They would find the oiliness, or they would find the waxiness, or... Or creaminess. Or a creaminess, right? They, there would be... It's, it's the difference between drinking a glass of water... And drinking a Guinness or a stout, right? You've got a stout could have a nice, thick, creamy texture to it, whereas water is just going to be wet. It's just straight up liquid. Well, you have this complaint about porters. For you, porters are very yeah. thin and insipid. That's probably and a better example, yeah. And then, then you get a nice nitro poured stout. A nice nitro pour oatmeal stout, yeah. right? And and you just oh that's now got presence on your palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like a good porter. I I'm always disappointed with you when you complain bitterly. It's too wet uh, about porters. Right. <laughs> it would that be a great thing to take back to the bar and say to the barkeep, um this beer it's too wet. Could I <laughs> Could I have a less wet beer, please? But you know what I'm saying, right? It's, it's like I it's, might. The barkeep sure as hell doesn't. Well, I'm going to have to reach out to the brewer himself. <laughs> Sir, this is too wet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I think to me that that is mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. And, and then another mouthfeel, and one, one that I really love, is sometimes you'll have a whiskey that can have a slight, almost effervescent feel to it. Obviously, it's not effervescent in any way, but there's this tingly sensation on your tongue that mm-hmm. similar to that you'd get when you drink some seltzer or some Coca-Cola or something like that. And I really like Serge Valentin's description of that sensation, and he refers to that as a nervous whiskey. Mm. And I like that, that there's a nervousness to it. You know, it's both it's both oily, but also kind of tingly. Like, it's it's kind of that excited kid, you know? Mm. It's got a lot of potential, but it's still kind of spunky. And, you know, I, I like that that term, his term, for that sensation. Okay. Serge Valentin, whiskeyfun.com. Yeah. If anybody yeah. wants yeah. to follow yeah. up looking for nervous, excitable whiskeys. Um, in the meantime, Joshua, an example to help Jim explain this to his girlfriend? So here, here's what I would do. Um, and, and actually, this, this, is, this, is, this is homework for Jim. So I would I would go to his local shop, which I think is Julio's. He may have a, he may have another shop. You know, I don't want like to. His I don't local want to shop, like, <laughs> like his town has one shop, and go to your local shop. Yeah, go to your local. Go to. <laughs> who was telling us the story? It, it may have been Ian Allen, maybe not, but he was. Whoever we were speaking to said they were talking with uh, someone from the U.S who was looking to visit their distillery 
And the woman said, hi, I've just flown into Scotland Airport. How do I get to your distillery? That was Ian Allen. <laughs> it was Ian Allen. <laughs> I just flown to Scotland Airport. Yeah. At that point, I would say, just take a left. You'll be right there. You'll be right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's what I would do. Yes. I and actually, the, this homework assignment works best with a particular rum. You know, speaking of rums, this works Ooh. with a rum product. Ooh. So there is a rum called uh, Ron de Jeremy. Yes. Have you heard of it? I have. I have yes. a sample in my house. Yeah. So what I would do is pour yourselves a glass of this Ron de Jeremy rum and really focus, like take it into your mouth. And That's important. F- right? Focus on how long that finishes after you've taken it into your mouth. It goes over your tongue, down your throat. Pay attention to how long that finishes. And it's creamy. It's like this creamy finish. It's really exciting. And yeah, the other thing is I would make sure that you drink it stiff. Right, hundred percent. Yes, and by stiff, I mean you know, no, don't put it on the rock. Like you can definitely hold the rocks. Yeah, if you put it on ice, it will shrivel up. That's not, and it becomes flaccid. Right, we talked about that. Right, right. It becomes flaccid. The over dilution, the chill filtering to within an inch of its life. It's that same ilk. Yeah. So yeah, stiff is spot on. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's probably the best way to go, and then she. She, your girlfriend, will experience that mouthfeel. She'll truly understand that. They'll experience the mouthfeel together. And what could be better than that? I'm not sure anything could be, Jason. Nothing at all. On that bombshell, Joshua Hatton. Thank you to everyone who has reached out with questions. And there's actually a a few that we couldn't get to. But, you know, these, (laughs) as everybody knows, our episodes get longer and longer and longer. And so we're trying to keep it within the two-hour time frame. Just like Ron de Jeremy Rum. Just just like, right? It gets longer and longer in the finish. Yeah, that's really good. I'm so glad that we that Jim uh, posed that question. We were able to answer it. I'm happy we could help. To we're completion, him. right? We did bring his question to completion. We did bring his question to completion. <laughs> and we're about to bring this episode to completion right about now. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. We really appreciate your listening. Very much so. Uh, we appreciate you coming back every other week. And, and sharing the news about the podcast. And we appreciate any good reviews you give us on Apple Podcasts. As you know from previous episodes, as people have been leaving reviews, we've started name-checking those people and reading the reviews. So if you want to leave a nice four- or five-star review on Apple Podcasts and leave a little comment there, we will be sure to, uh, to put it on wax, put it in an episode. Absolutely. Um, this, Joshua Hatton, mm. Mm. concludes our third season, our wow. third series wow. of One Nation Under Whiskey. Amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. That happened fast. And we will be back the 26th of February with our season slash series premiere of... John Glazer. <laughs> wow. You know, if that guy, let's get ready to rumble. That's exactly who I was going for. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. If he ever retires, you know that the you've got the chops. 
I'm fear. I'm I'm fear for him. I'm I'm here for him. With the episode, John Glazer. <laughs> Should we call it a season? I think it's a season because um, a we're both living in the U.S. and that's the proper nomenclature. At least living here. And the majority of our listenership is in the U.S., about 70%. So The rest of the world is fighting back on that. We're only 20% away from making it a 50-50 split. Should we call this season series? <laughs> let's, let's call it done. Let's do that. <laughs> chin chin. Chin chin. Cheers, listeners. Cheers. <laughs> coffee mug that's what a coffee mug sounds like when you tap it with a a sample of of rum i'm holding on to a sample of rum did you guys say flock of seagulls over here like the band or an actual flock of seagulls or are you discussing something else poop do you, do you have any poop that falls under the category flock of seagulls fuck no okay so that's 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 when you poop but all you do is you splatter the sides of the bowl and nothing's in the water <laughs> we call that a flock of seagulls how could you just spray the sides and not get anything i mean this is the opposite of perf- well i guess it's its own perfection Right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's it's not something you wish for. I'll put it. I'll I'll put it like that. You don't wish for this. It's more after a night of drinking or mm. a night of kebabs. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. something's gone wrong in your in your diet that leads to the flock of seagulls. Huh? Is there yeah. any, anything like uh, Blumpkin One Eighty Two? Nothing like it at all. Mm, nothing. Okay. Nothing. Not not even close. No. Okay. Not even in the same Blumkin Park. <laughs> Blumkin. They're my favorite band from the nineties, Blumkin Park. <laughs> Most people liked Blumkin One Eighty Two. I was a fan of Blumkin Park. I thought I kinda crowbarred that in there, but I thought it was also kinda successful. So I'll, are I'll you take a, it. Are you a fan of the Foo Blumpkins? <laughs> I, I peaked with Blumkin Park. I'm not even going to try and say anything else. I'm well, so proud of myself. The one thing I do know is you're a huge fan of Blumpkin Zappa. Always have been. Always have been. There's a lot of people don't understand Blumkin Zappa, but I think that's part of the attraction. You, you know what? Those in the know know Blumpkin Zappa. 